Good morning, family. It is such a pleasure to be here with you all today. I'm, ex- I'm so excited about what God is going to do and um, what he's already done. Um, just going to take a moment to pray for us. Father, we thank you. We love you, and we just adore you this morning. We thank you, God, that you have uh, been with us from before we existed. Um, you knew our names, and you have loved us from the beginning through now. And we just ask that you would be very present among us, God, that your spirit would be palatable among us, um, God, that you would just flow in this place. And we thank you for the hope of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope in this season. And I pray, God, that it would not just be a seasonal thing for us, but that we would live in this hope on a daily basis. And we just thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, As Evan mentioned, my name is Tanika Wyatt. My husband and I um, are marriage and family pastors here at uh, Park Hill, and we are just enjoying getting to know you all and um, having lunches and dinners and, you know, playing around and all that kind of stuff that we do, uh, making jokes and whatnot. But, uh, and most important, eating. I think I mentioned lunch, dinner. Yeah. Anyway, food is usually at the center of our gatherings. Um, So let's get right into the word. We are going to talk about hope for the hurting today, hope um, in community. And um, let's start right at Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 8. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies." To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. Or as I grew up reading the King James Version, beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I love that version. Then verse 8 says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering and make an everlasting covenant with them. This scripture we just read is written by an ancient prophet, Isaiah, but you may be more familiar with these words as the words of Jesus. Um, In Luke chapter four, after being driven into the wilderness by the spirit for a period of uh, testing and fasting, Um, being tempted by the devil, and after victoriously overcoming, Jesus then goes to the synagogue, and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah, and he begins to read this very scripture. And in Luke 4, verse 21, Jesus tells this crowd in the synagogue, after reading from Isaiah, he says, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Now, Jesus, who is our eternal hope, was and is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. As we celebrate Advent, we understand, just like we heard last week, that Advent begins in the dark journeying to the light because we know God cannot lie. Advent is anchored in the promise of God. So what is that promise? 
At the time of Isaiah's writing, um, Judah and Israel were divided. They were they were rebellious and disobedient. They neglected the poor, the orphan, and the widow as God had commanded them. They worshipped um, other gods of other nations instead of the one true and living God, Yahweh. And even after God had revealed himself time and time again to Israel, lavishing them with love and performing miracles that actually caused their fame to spread among other nations, They still wanted to be like those other nations and serve their idols, serving gods who really were not gods at all. So the creator who established Israel as a nation out of his relationship and um, promise to Abraham used Isaiah to pronounce judgment on them, prophesying that they would be conquered by their enemies and taken captive if they did not return back to him. So these were very dark times, as you can imagine. But even amidst the judgment and the darkness, God provided hope. Isaiah 7, 14 says, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This was God's promise. Advent is anchored in this promise. And what does it mean for Emmanuel, for God to be with us? If we go back to the words of Jesus, what he spoke about himself, he brings good news to the poor, comfort to the brokenhearted, and he sets prisoners and captives free. For those who mourn, he declares God's favor, and their enemies are vanquished. And let me be clear, our enemy today is not one another. We don't fight against flesh and blood, black or white, rich or poor, Democrat or Republican, or whatever opposing sides you can imagine. Our adversary is the devil, and he walks about as a roaring lion seeking seeking to devour us. But Jesus promises that even he will be conquered and we will win. We have already won. This is still God's promise to be with us, to be with you and to be with me. And Jesus didn't just fulfill this scripture while on earth as a man, but this scripture is still being fulfilled today. God's promise to be with his people is for us and to us now. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14 that he would send his spirit to live in us. So let's go there. John 14 verses 16 through 18. And I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. This is Jesus promising never to leave or forsake his people. Promising that he will not abandon those who follow him. 
He says in that last line, after his life on earth here is done, after his death, his burial, resurrection, after his ascension into heaven, I will not abandon you as orphans, but I will come to you. He was not just here for a moment in history to leave behind some good sayings and some uh, great deeds on record, but he came to reconcile us back to God and to change the world forever. He was the fulfillment of God's promise to Isaiah, to Israel, to Abraham. And as Matt mentioned last week, way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Jesus was not an afterthought. He was always the plan. He was God's very first promise. And by his spirit, through one another, through the church, Jesus is still bringing good news to the poor, comforting the brokenhearted, and setting people free who were once bound. I want to take a moment and share a bit of my story with you because I believe it's fitting for what God has to say, or what he wants to say to us today. And when I think of Jesus never leaving us, never abandoning me personally, I think of this scripture in Psalms 27, verse 10. It says, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. This has been my testimony. When I say that I was raised in the church, most of the time, people assume that means that my family went to church together or maybe my parents made me go to church. Um, You know, maybe my mom or dad would drop me off in my third grade Sunday school class and then they'd go to the adult class or Um, Like we do today, you sign in your kids at the the kids area, and then the adults come to the main sanctuary or main service, you know, that, that kind of thing. But the truth is, I was not just raised in the church. I was raised by the church. Most of the time I went to church, I actually went alone. So let me give you a little bit of background. My parents were high school sweethearts, both very popular, well-liked. They got married at 18 and 19, um, right after becoming pregnant with me. They were great people, but they weren't great parents. Um, They weren't good at being husband and wife either. Their marriage was full of infidelity and living apart, coming together to reconcile for a moment, then Uh, to fight again and separate. And as a small child, I was in the middle of all of this, watching it all and feeling abandoned and neglected by the both of them. So they had a tradition of church. Um, So I went to church as early as I could remember. But what was lived outside of the church in our home was a grave contradiction to what we heard on Sunday mornings. So I'll spare spare you all the details, but I will tell you this, that when my mother and father abandoned me, the Lord himself held me close. The Lord held me close. If my mother and father had not forsaken me, those feelings of neglect and abandonment that I have dealt with for as far as I can remember my whole life, if my earthly parents had not left this little human to navigate things on her own, and start adulting at a time she needed adults to lead her, 
I would not have the testimony I have today of knowing, trusting, and leaning on my heavenly father like I do now. For me, it took them vacating their roles for God to step in and occupy fully as rescuer, as savior, provider, friend, confidant, Abba. That's what he has been for me. Now, this is not an encouragement to parents to disregard your uh, parental responsibilities <laughs> and leave your kids to fend for themselves so that God could be their father. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but this is an encouragement to children who feel lost and alone, who feel like you should have been protected. Um, and I realize I'm talking to a room full of adults, but there are disappointed children inside many of us. This is a reminder to anyone who has been let down by people, whether on purpose or unintentionally, that God can and will make up the difference. We serve a God who is with us and in us. So my life wasn't a rough one. It wasn't a horrible life. Um, I enjoyed my childhood and grew up loving Jesus and those he put around me. My parents weren't the worst people. They were actually fun and loving and kind-hearted and very well liked by their circle of friends. They were just flawed, broken, abandoned themselves by parents who should have been present for them but were not. So somehow they learned to show up for their friends but not for their children. They naturally fell into the cycle of generations before them of absentee fathers and being passed around by family members looking for someone to properly care for you. This was the legacy handed down. But amidst that dysfunction, there was a seed planted. There was a seed of hope, salvation, righteous living, a seed planted that said this little black girl right outside of Compton, California, who could easily fall prey to every statistic with her absentee father, gang-infested neighborhood, drug-addicted family members. This little girl was royalty, a daughter of the king. That was the seed that was planted in me by the church. There was a seed planted that expected better for generations to come, not just for me, but for my children and their children and their children. There was somebody praying and someone walking in fellowship with God. And it wasn't just a distant relative, but it was the church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about Advent, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul who know themselves to be poor and imperfect and who look forward to something greater to come. I don't know what troubles you, what troubles your soul. I don't know where you feel inadequate, unloved or empty and need God to show up for you. For me, it was against the backdrop of horrible cycles and hopelessness that hope prevailed. Hope was revealed in my life like a blade of grass breaking through the crack of a heavy, dense, dingy slab of concrete. God did that. 
and he used his church. A few Sundays ago, I spoke at my old church in Los Angeles, and um, I was blessed to see this beautiful little lady who just turned 97 in October. I don't know if you see her. I call her Mother Brody. She and her now 98-year-old husband were responsible for getting me to church um, to Bible study each week as a young teen. Now, this was more than 30 years ago. Um, They were already in their 60s by that time and had grandchildren older than me. But they took the time to be bothered with a young adolescent who wasn't old enough to drive and who lived too far away for her mom to drop her off. They had no idea what that did for me, that their names were being etched into my story. They were just being the church. They weren't doing anything particularly special other than being the church. And it wasn't just the Brodies, but the family of God surrounded me. There were other teens living out their faith imperfectly, but still loving God and seeking him. Families and husbands and wives who showed me what a godly home should look like. Older women who mothered me and taught me how to be a godly woman. Singles who dedicated their lives to God and showed me it was possible to be sexually pure. This community of believers, not perfect, but full of the Spirit of God, became my brothers, my sisters, my mothers, and my fathers. So that when my natural mother and father abandoned me, God used his people to hold me close. It was not just the gospel that saved me, but it was the church. I love how Matt mentioned last week, I forget who he quoted, but if God is seen as our father, then the church is then our mother. And this is not only my story, but the whole world is looking for the church, looking to the church for hope like an expected mother waiting in agony on the arrival of her newborn baby. Last week, we read an excerpt of Paul's letter to the Romans. Let's listen to Paul's words once again. Romans 8, verses 19 through 22. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The church, with all of its flaws, with its tainted history, its failures. The church is still what the world longs to see come alive. You sitting in your seats, you are the church. You are what the world is waiting for. You are who the the world is looking to for hope. And you may think you don't need community, but you do. And community needs you. 
It is God's design, his idea for the spiritual body to stay connected and function in unity just as the natural body does. This is why Park Hill Communities is such a central part of our church. It is vital that we are with one another regularly, sharing meals, um, studying the scriptures, sharing stories, singing songs, and praying for one another. You don't know what your presence means to other people. Keep showing up. You don't know what some people have to go through and what they leave behind just to make it here to the fellowship. And you don't know what they have to return to when they leave this place. I'm reminded of a young Ethiopian woman I knew um, in her early 20s some years ago. Not too far away, she was right over in City Heights. Um, She was raised in a strict Muslim home um, where it would be shameful for her to convert to Christianity. So in her private time seeking God, God actually revealed himself to her in a dream. And this dream was centered around very specific words, but very unfamiliar words to her. However, she instinctively knew that these were holy words. And so she could not ask her Muslim family or friends, but at her school, there was a Christian who provided the answer. And the words in her dream were Jesus' words. That led this young woman on a journey to know who this Jesus was. The way, the truth, the life. And when she started coming to our church um, at the time, it was a struggle. Her family hadn't been in the United States very long, and they were really all that she had. But she couldn't share her newfound joy with them for fear of being disowned. She could not openly read her Bible or tell them she was going to a Christian church. So when she showed up, we had to be her family. We had to rejoice with her. We had to weep with her. We had to wrap our arms around her. You don't know what people have left behind to get here. You haven't heard everybody's story. So keep showing up for one another. Allow Jesus to comfort the brokenhearted through you. Allow him to use you to speak good news. And if I could encourage you just a little further... I want to leave you with these words from Romans. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. You are not just welcomed here, but you belong here. You are not just wanted here, but you are needed here. You are embraced here. And when we see each other as we gather, we ought to be able to say, welcome home. In fact, just turn to somebody and just tell them, welcome home.
Welcome home. This is how God shows up for us. This is how he heals us. This is how he redeems us. It is through one another. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, we invite you into the family. Jesus is calling you to be a part of this family. Let's just stand for a moment and we're going to pray. Father, we thank you that we are home. God, that in you we have refuge. In you, God, we find belonging. God, you are our mother and our father, our brother and our sister. God, you have loved us through one another. You have surrounded us with community. Imperfectly, but together, seeking you and running after you. Father, I pray for us now that you would help us, God, that our hearts would break for one another, that we could truly rejoice, God, with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. God, that we would feel the pain of our brothers and our sisters, and we would, just as the body does, that we would come to their aid God, we thank you for your plan. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your spirit that is alive in us, that you are still Emmanuel. You are still God with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Just take a moment um, as we prepare for communion. Let's take a moment and just love on each other. Hug the person next to you. I don't know. Let's get Pentecostal. We could, I could start telling you guys stuff to tell each other, but, you know, tell your neighbor this and that. We're not going to do that right now. <laughs> but you, you tell them whatever you feel inclined to tell them. Just love on each other. Amen.